This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 and Sunday mornings at 11 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. We assume that our partner knows what we like and that we know what our partner likes. And sometimes that changes. And often the issue is, is that we give over the power of our pleasure to our partners. And we sort of forget that, you know, what we have to figure out what we like, especially when those things change. And it's a lot of responsibility to be the one who's like, okay, I think you'll like this. I think you'll like that. Welcome to the new and expanded 60-minute version of The Tonic and the last show of 2018. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to discuss the promise and possibilities of medical cannabis in 2019. Then we'll learn about hiring a caregiver privately versus hiring a firm. We'll hear about the power of and responsibility for sexual arousal. And lastly, we'll find out about a new documentary called Food for Thought. But first, a little bit of business. People at Agmedica Bioscience feel fortunate to be living in this great country and investing their time, efforts, resources, and passion into something that's making and will continue to make an enormous impact on people's well-being, their healthcare options, as well as the trusted availability of a safe and consistent medical cannabis product right from the start. That's the patient promise they make to all of their customers. At Agmedica, they also understand the treatment journey and the thought that goes into trying something new. Who are they? They're the continuous learners, always looking to surpass the boundaries and deliver a positive experience for the great people they serve all across diverse communities, acknowledging the past and embracing the future. Join Agmedica as the journey continues. My first guest today is Bruce McEckern. He's the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Agmedica Bioscience. Bruce brings over 25 years of leadership experience in sales, marketing, and capability development across several Fortune 500 research-based pharmaceutical companies. He has an impressive track record for building high-performance teams, executing strategic people development initiatives, and connecting with customers within the challenging healthcare environments. He's also worked with global teams and brings broad and comparative understanding of key business drivers, pricing, access, and evolving customer mix and the patient journey. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Very good, thank you. Great to be here, Jamie. So I know from our discussions that you're enthusiastic about the future of medical cannabis, the promise and the possibility. What do you mean by the promise and the possibility of medical cannabis? Well, I mean promise and possibility uh, in a very positive way. You know, we've just come off legalization in October. There's never been such an awareness around uh, cannabis, medical cannabis, and uh, new potential options. So leaving the year 2018, going into 2019, I think people are seeing that medical cannabis might be an avenue for them to explore. I know a lot of people have spoken to others who have tried medical cannabis, and uh, they speak of very good results. So the promise of something new to uh, enhance uh, one's approach to living and well-being, and also the possibilities of uh, improving quality of life. Yeah, so for a lot of people, you know, with legalization, this may be the first time 
that they've ever had cannabis and, and, and certainly medical cannabis. So how do they get started? So getting started is very straightforward. I think we want to simplify this whole approach. A good start would be for uh, individuals, people who are interested to research a bit on the subject of medical, medical cannabis. Right. Health Canada is an authority. It's a great place to go to get information. And uh, there's also other uh, reputable websites that can provide uh, the public with valuable and informative uh, updates on what's happening in medical cannabis and different applications. I think it's also important to get reviews, try to understand how people have approached it, things they might have tried, outcomes they might have received, and uh, you know, weigh that into your consideration of how one would like to get started. You definitely want to uh, begin by, you know, going to your healthcare professional with information. You know, you want to be your own advocate. You want to research. You want to share with your healthcare professional, be it a doctor or a nurse practitioner. You know how the product has helped others, and can this product help me? Uh, you want to understand a little bit about some of the strains that might be out there. Right. The different methods of consumption, and discuss that a trial period and an assessment plan, and go to your uh, healthcare professional with a good amount of knowledge around uh, what you might be undertaking. Okay, so you mentioned different ways that people can consume their medical cannabis. What if they don't want to to smoke the cannabis? Are there options that are available? Yeah, very good question, Jamie. Uh, there are options. I think when people hear the word cannabis, they conjure up images of smoke and you know the old the old culture of you know recreational cannabis. Right. But uh, I think when you consider the best health options, there are uh, vaporizing options where you can uh, use the flour and you can steam it, vaporize it, such that it doesn't combust. There's no smoke and no burning products uh, as the result. Another option is uh, oils. Right. And there's also gel caps that are available in limited quantity, but they are available and seem to be uh, a preferred uh, method of ingestion as well. Are those the only edibles that are currently available on the medical side? Yes, that's exactly right. On on any side, edibles have not been legalized. No, I I knew that. For the recreational side, they don't come until, I think, what, uh, next in 2019, right? Yeah, yeah, later in 2019. All right, so when you say... On the medical side, uh, yeah, it's it's oils, it's uh, gel caps, vaporizing. When you when you say oils, do you mean oils to ingest or do you mean topical oils? Yes, I mean oils to ingest. So typically a dropper and you'd put it under your tongue and uh, you know, you'd wait one to two hours. That's usually when the onset of action occurs with oils. And uh, you also get a longer duration of action, though, with an oil versus uh, vaporizing. The right. gel cap would be similar. You ingest it and wait a little while until you see the uh, the full effect of the medicine. Okay. What have you seen with respect to the advent of recreational? Are, are people still approaching medical cannabis the same way, or do you think they're self-medicating? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question as well, Jamie. We look at Health Canada statistics to get an idea of uh, patient registrations and numbers of people who are taking the medical access route to uh, obtain their cannabis authorization. Uh, we've noticed that there has not been a large drop-off from uh, people pursuing the medical uh, registration and you know, calling the LP going through that process. 
So we're very encouraged by that. I think people understand the medical cannabis offers you know, different advantages, and there's a lot to be said as well for uh, managing one's disease or, or condition with their healthcare professional, as they would any other health challenge that they've had over the years. So definitely people are wanting to talk to their physician or their nurse practitioner, and they do want to access uh, medical cannabis with those professionals in mind. There are also tax advantages. Uh, you can claim the medical cost of cannabis uh, through the Canada Revenue Agency, uh, as you would any other medicine. So uh, I think that appeals to a lot of people as well. Have the insurers come on board? Are they covering uh, medical cannabis? Yes, they are. There, there are a lot of instances where insurance companies are identifying specific disease states, disease areas, where they will cover it. Now, it really does depend on the employer, the employee, the type of plan that they have. But uh, there are numerous insurance companies right now today that are covering medical cannabis who acknowledge its benefits and who really see value uh, in you know their clientele considering this as an option. Right, and I, and I think that would sort of, that would militate towards somebody going the medical route because if they can get the coverage for it, then the cost issue sort of melts away, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Are you gonna be, is your company gonna be tracking whether people start gravitating away from medical? Or, yeah. or, is that, or are you relying on government figures to come to those conclusions? Yeah, we are uh, looking at Health Canada statistics to give us insights into that. But we also, uh, you know, speak with our, our customers out there and people that we work closely with to get a feeling for the types of patients that they're seeing, uh, the types of, of buyers and, and uh, you know, some of the demographics out there. But so far, what we're seeing is that people see the value of the medical cannabis authorization prescription, whatever you might, you might want to call it, right. and uh, they do want to go that route. So okay. I think it's, it's pretty strong right now. It hasn't been that way in all jurisdictions, but uh, in Canada, the way you know, we practice medicine, the way we uh, access our healthcare professionals, uh, it's a different scenario. So in your experience uh, with the people that are, are gravitating towards the medical cannabis, what sort of ailments are being treated? What are they looking for help with? There's really a variety of conditions that people are looking uh, to find a solution to. You know, chronic pain. You know, pain is almost universal, you know, at a certain age. Right. And No, uh, trust me, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't uh, feel pain every other day or whatever? But, uh, you know, we're an aging population. There's a baby boomer tsunami underway. And people are looking for something that's safe and something that uh, is easy to take and it's something that they understand. So, uh, you know, chronic pain, anxiety, insomnia, you know, spasticity associated with uh, multiple sclerosis, do you have a with, of other conditions. Do you have you people know. with Parkinson's uh, trying to work with the tremors there or? Yes, there have been people who have taken it for that. Uh, again, with all of these conditions, there are banks of studies and evidence that support its use. Uh, in some other disease state areas, there's not as much evidence, and we're still waiting to see uh, what can be uncovered and you know, whether the medical cannabis therapy is the ideal approach. Right. Do you find that there are patients who are looking to treat sort of not cancer, but uh, perhaps some of the side effects from their cancer medications or to help them even eat? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the pieces of positive feedback we're hearing. People who are on chemotherapy, who are getting treatment, 
uh, are able to uh, ingest medical cannabis. It stimulates their appetite. It helps to uh, manage nausea as well. That usually goes along with, you know, many chemotherapy treatments. So on that front, I mean, people feel a great addition, a great adjunct to what they're taking, and again, a lot of positive feedback on the uh, the improvement in their quality of life. Right. So yeah, when when we're talking about quality of life, I, I guess. Uh, anything that sort of helps people cope with their day to day is, is going to be beneficial, right? I, you know, my experience with the medical system is they're great at keeping us alive, but they're not necessarily great at making our lives better. True, true. Why do you think that medical cannabis is resonating with, with so many people? Are we hardwired for it? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's a new area. It's, you know, been prohibited for many, many years. There's a lot of interest. And like I said, there's been a lot of feedback from people who have taken medical cannabis and they're getting a really, really good result. When you look at the human body and just the way we are biologically, we are hardwired to, you know, manage and, and receive benefit from medical cannabis. You know, the endocannabinoid system has been identified, you know, decades ago as, uh, you know, an inherent part of our makeup biologically, physiologically. It's a regulatory system within our body that uh, like a lock and key, attracts cannabinoids and accepts cannabinoids and uh, supports the human body across a number, a number of functions. So to consider cannabis, medical cannabis, uh, the cannabinoids associated with it, CB1, CB2, for example, and the innate physiological endocannabinoid system that we possess and the processes uh, that are involved with it, it just makes a ton of sense. So science is really behind this. It's not just a, uh, a flavor of the month, but rather a well-proven concept around the human body and cannabinoids and the natural affinity the plant has for our own, you know, body system that regulates many of our functions. Yeah. I think for a lot of people who are contemplating medical cannabis, I think there's just so much information out there that it can be sort of overwhelming. And I think what they're looking for is sort of comfort, you know, almost like the, the, the company that they're going to be dealing with sort of understands what their concerns are in sort of this jungle that is, is now a whole industry. So what is, what is your, how does your company deal with that? Well, you know, it's been a challenge. Uh, you know, the, the LPs in Canada are working hard and, and, you know, doing a lot to make good product available to patients who are looking for it. You know, everyone is working really hard to, to manage supply and ensure that customers get what they want, when they want it, when they need it. And uh, it, it hasn't always been, you know, the best situation. Definitely something, though, that we're all working on. Uh, at Agmatica Bioscience, what we're doing is offering a patient promise so we are going to accept patients to the extent that we can actually support them and carry them through their therapy. We don't want to create a situation where there are stockouts or switches or, you know, waiting on the phone and just not getting the customer service that people expect when they, you know, subscribe to a medicine and anticipate certain outcomes from it. So uh, our patient promise is something that puts the patient as a complete priority and ensures that they get what they want when they want it without hassle. So we're really proud of that, and we, uh, we're spreading the word, and we're hoping that we can make a difference to people who begin with a, a particular therapy, who have great results with it, and who then want to continue on with it uninterrupted. 
Well, that's fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show today. Pleasure. Really great to be here. Thanks a lot, Jamie. We hope to have you back again soon. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to hear about hiring a caregiver directly versus hiring a firm on the tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. At Caregiver Services Limited, we specialize in 12 to 24-hour private care for seniors in private homes, hospitals, or facilities. We provide the highest level of customized service for families looking for a caregiver or personal support worker. To ensure the highest quality of care and support, we limit the number of clients we service. Whether you're looking for general live-in care or have more significant needs related to mobility issues, dementia, or palliative care, finding someone who's a great fit is most important. At Caregiver Services Limited, our highly experienced staff specialize in meeting the unique needs of 12 to 24-hour care. For more information, please visit caregiverservices.ca. Let our family help care for yours. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Welcome back. My next guest, David Bernstein, graduated from the Schulich School of Business with an MBA in 1992. He worked in marketing and senior management with Procter & Gamble and Reckitt Binkieser in Toronto, Tel Aviv, Amsterdam, and London. Following in the footsteps of several family members, David entered the seniors' healthcare field, acquiring Caregiver Services Limited in 2014. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jamie. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. So you're an expert on extended care, and I thought it would be helpful to discuss the pros and cons of the options uh, for those hiring extended-term caregivers. So sure. why don't we focus on that today? Sure. So one of the options that people have is, is they can hire somebody directly. Maybe it's somebody they know, uh, somebody who's worked for the family previously. What are the, what are the pros to doing something like that? Well, generally speaking, the people who, let's say we're talking about seniors in general, right, yeah. who have a, a home care need, the people who even consider hiring somebody directly are usually people who live in a community where they see these caregivers around. They even know that they're that they exist. Right. Uh, there are many communities where population density is a lot smaller. The houses are spread out, where you don't even necessarily know the caregivers are around or how to get in touch with them, etc. So. In the center of Toronto, there's a number of communities where there are a lot of caregivers. They may be nannies, they may be PSWs, RPNs, lots of different uh, skill levels of people. And quite often it can be a nanny or it can be somebody who worked, as you mentioned, for another family member. And all of a sudden you're facing a crisis in your own family and you need somebody quick and you put the word out. You call your family, you go onto Facebook, you do whatever you need to do, and you reach out for somebody, and all of a sudden you 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 get a call from a cousin, an aunt, an uncle. Somebody says, you know what? This person worked with us. They're great. Why don't you call them and hire them? Yeah, relationship and reference-driven. Exactly. It's very much so. And then it's sort of up to the family to try to make that happen. Now, the, the pros of that really are that they've come ideally referred 
from somebody who's had them do something similar to what they're doing. So you, right. you get a direct reference. And usually, especially if you're paying them cash, which technically you should not be doing, uh, but does happen, it, you're going to save a few dollars an hour. And if you have 10 or 12-hour daycare or 24-hour live-in care, that adds up and it's a lot of money. If you're hiring directly and you're doing what you're supposed to do, which is make them employees, pay their CPP, their EI, their employee health tax, the workman's compensation, and their, the rest of the source deductions, the gap in cost uh, dramatically reduces. So you're still probably going to save a, a couple dollars an hour. Right. But really, that's the there's a short-term benefit of having someone who's referred. Right. And then there's a cost benefit that gets smaller if you do the right thing. Right. And the referral, it's also if they know your family, they'll know the people they're dealing with. I mean, the, 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 I suppose that's the collateral yes. yeah, benefit. If they, if they come from a, a tight circle around you, right. then the familiar Familiarity is very important. You trust these people. You're giving them your keys. They're staying overnight with your parents. Right. It's, you know, it's nice to know. Right. All right. So, obviously, the, the other option that's out there is hiring a firm like yours. Correct. So, what sort of benefits do you have versus hiring directly that, that, you, know, that you, you provide as a service? The benefits tend to track with the complexity of the care need. If it is uh, simply for your grandparent or your parent and their health is generally okay, they just need some help around the house and you like the security of knowing that there's somebody there at night, then the benefits are smaller. But if you're dealing with mobility challenges, uh, dementia, other sorts of more serious illnesses that require uh, treatment, etc., then you want somebody who's trained. The people that would come from a firm like mine would be fully vetted. Right. They're going to be police checked and reference checked. Their certificates are going to be confirmed. Certificates, uh, these people are professionally trained? Yeah, they're, they're personal support workers or nurses, if that's the case. So what sort of training do they get? I'm curious. There's several months of, uh, let's say, a few hours a day of training to deal with the basic non-medical illnesses that seniors have, uh, mobility, uh, transferring them, getting them in and out of a chair, in and out of bed, on and off a toilet. Then there's the specifics of personal care, helping somebody with toileting, helping somebody with bathing, a sponge bath, a regular shower, those kinds of things. And then there's the more sort of soft skills of dealing with seniors who have cognitive issues, right. who might be palliative, and where there's a lot of emotionality around the care. And that's not for everybody, and people have to be prepared for that. Are you doing interviews to see if these people sort of emotionally are the right fit for the for the work? Because not everybody's in the right industry. You know, they may have the skill set, but they really may not be suited to deal with the clientele. Uh, the people who go in, who become PSWs, in particular personal support workers, they tend to know what they're getting themselves into. We interview personally everybody we hire. We tend to start them off with more simple client situations right. and then get feedback. And then as things get more serious, we will uh, provide those opportunities for those more experienced people. And one of the other benefits I understand is, is uh, that staff from companies like yours uh, are insured, right? Yeah, they will be very well insured. They'll be bonded. Uh, there's workman's compensation for them as well. So as far as peace of mind, knowing that, you know, the very unlikely event that something like that does occur, right. you've got coverage. So the sort of top line benefits are, of course, the security of knowing they've been incredibly well vetted, yep. that they're trained. But the more practical areas are where it really pays off. When you have uh, seven-day week care, whether it's uh, all-day care or 24-hour care, 
scheduling becomes complicated. Yeah, I would imagine. You, you can't have one person working seven days a week, nor do you want them to. No, they'll burn out. They'll burn out. They also have their own lives. These are, you know, when it, in the world of childcare, many caregivers come over and start working for families and don't have their own families yet. Right. And so they have a simpler life where they can actually dedicate themselves to your family and they're more flexible. Or, or their families back from the country where they're originating from and, you know, they'll... Exactly. But typically, obviously there's exceptions, that when it comes to child care, there are fewer distractions for the caregiver. Right. When it comes to senior care, these are more experienced people who have been here a while. They have families. They have spouses. They have vacations. They have a life, just like we have a life. And so they need some balance as well. And so you end up, for a a seven-day-a-week live-in caregiver, 24-hour care, uh, the sort of two basic categories differentiated by whether the caregiver is awake at night or asleep. So in either case, you're going to have at least two caregivers for a seven-day week for daycare, and you're going to have at least two caregivers for overnight care. So that's a minimum of four people doing 24-hour care if the evenings are awake. That requires scheduling. For you're sure. going to have people who are late, people who are sick. We're coming on to winter, and all of a sudden, you know, the caregiver's street wasn't plowed yet, and the shift starts at 7 a.m., and they can't get to work. Right. Someone needs to manage all of that. It can be very stressful because you've got individuals who need the care, and the caregiver can't get there yet. A firm like mine, this is my problem. Right. <laughs> That's what we do for a living. They're offloading the exactly. headaches to you. I get the calls early in the morning and late at night, right. and then I follow up and I do what I can to make it work. And so it's really that big category of the practicalities of providing care for more serious issues where there's a serious benefit. As well, most seniors who start with care, their situation changes over right. time. Right, I would imagine situation develops. Exactly. And so quite often it's relatively, it may start off serious because they've just been released from hospital from a broken hip or something and the care that they need is more intensive and then they improve. They go through go to rehab right. and then they need less care. Right. Well, as they need less care, the team may need to change or the schedule needs to change. If you've hired privately, you're not going to be able to make that work. Right. And then let's assume you're in a, a holding pattern of a certain level of care that facilitates your uh, loved one's needs. And then another situation occurs and the care needs to ramp up again or change or you need a different skill level. Now, all of a sudden, you need to add new people or change the people. Again, right. if you're doing this privately, it's incredibly diff- difficult to make that happen quickly. This is what we do. You know, we, for example, have about 110 staff who are all employees of the firm and with that kind of a roster and what we specialize is in longer shift, 12, 24-hour care, right. we can manage that usually. The bigger firms, and there are many, have hundreds, if not thousands of caregivers and can solve problems very quickly. Uh, it's a little bit less relationship-oriented and high service, but they've got great rosters of, of lots of people. And really, at the end of the day, when you're talking about the uncertainty of the care need over time, it's really a benefit to have someone to call to talk through the challenge, what might occur, right, and get prepared. What are some of the extra value that staff from a firm like yours would provide that sort of goes beyond what people might think of when they're thinking of, of straight-up caregiving? So in addition to the most important areas, which are the care for the safety and, and well-being of right. the, the individual – and the general household needs, uh, laundry, light housekeeping, meal preparation, etc. Quite often, um, especially in the winter, family members are abroad. 
Right. Or maybe just the family members don't live in the same city. So there's a lot of household details. It could be, did the snow get shoveled this morning? Right. Uh, there's deliveries coming. Somebody's going out and buying things on behalf of the house. Maybe getting medications or something. Getting medications. Um, I mean, one thing we provide our clients where we do living care is we provide a company credit card. So the caregiver is actually spending our money right. that we track and then we can report to you about as opposed to going out with your family member's credit card or cash. Right. And so there's a, uh, those kinds of levels of service can all be customized for the specific need of the family. Fantastic. Well, that's all the time we have for today. But before we leave, if, if somebody's interested in finding out more about the services you provide, what's, what's a good way to reach out to you? I'd say the best first step is to go to our website at caregiverservices.ca or you can call us at any time at 905 905- Six four two nine four nine four. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to learn all about the power of and the responsibility for sexual arousal on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic magazine and vice versa. Are you one of the many Canadians dealing with chronic pain, anxiety, IBS, and other such conditions? Are you interested in finding out more about your options with medical cannabis? Then join one of 22,000 patients nationwide who've let Harvest Medicine be their trusted cannabis healthcare partner and provider. It's never been easier to access Harvest Medicine's healthcare team, education, and resources. Simply download the HMed Connect app from the Android and Apple stores and book your appointment today. To find out more, visit hmed.ca or download the app. That's H-M-E-D Connect from your app store. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is the founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality shop and workshop centre in Toronto. And she's the producer of the Toronto International Porn Festival. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. Watch her TEDx Toronto talk and educational videos at carlislejansen.com. And you can reach out to her at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. Hi. So in the December issue of Tonic Magazine, you wrote a great article about the power and responsibility of sexual arousal. It's a topic I'm sure not many of us in long-term relationships think about, but it's pretty Mm -hmm. important, isn't it? Well, 
it is. And I think once we're in long-term relationships, we just assume that um, touch and pleasure is a yes. Right. <laughs> um, and we assume that our partner knows what we like and that we know what our partner likes. And sometimes that changes. And often the issue is, is that we give over the power of our pleasure to our partners. And we sort of forget that, you know, what we have to figure out what we like, especially when those things change. And it's a lot of responsibility to be the one who's like, okay, I think you like this and right. I think you like that. Um, or, or do you still like this or yeah, do you still like that? completely, completely. And so many people don't know and they're like, oh yeah, that's fine. Well, yeah. that's not really what you want to hear, right? Yeah. You want to hear like, yeah, that's great and can you keep doing this or do that other thing? Right. I think, you know, in a long-term relationship and obviously I'm speaking about myself, <laughs> uh, you know, some you, you can fall into patterns. And, completely. And, 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 you know, there's a shorthand that couples have yep. where they don't necessarily articulate things. Sure. They're, they're looking for nonverbal cues, yes. which can be confusing in the moment, right? You know? They can be, but then I find after using the same cues for a while and we don't know how to then say, can we switch it up or can you do this differently right. or that's not working so much anymore. And then we get in a rut. Right. So in the, in the article, mm. you start off the article by referencing two important yes. questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are those important questions that we need to look at? Yeah, and I would highly encourage people to do this. It's like a 10-minute exercise, and it's really, really well, or 15 minutes. But the first question you ask is, how would you like me to touch you for three minutes? And the second question is, how would you like to touch me? for three minutes, and then you switch. So in each instance, you are giving or receiving, and you're doing what you want versus what your partner wants. And of course, part of this is going with respecting your boundaries, even though your partner says, I want you to touch it this way, like maybe you don't right. want to. So you can communicate that. But it's a very powerful exercise in reflecting on what do I want and how do I want to give that? Am I going to just endure what somebody's doing to me? Right. Am I going to speak up? Am I going to say something? And in a very short period, of time, you can learn a lot about yourself. So is the exercise meant to reflect upon a person's immediate need or desire? Like, uh, is it about trying something new or is it about expressing sort of what, what you've been meaning to say, but perhaps haven't been saying, this is what I like, quote unquote, dummy. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you can do it either way. I find that as a short exercise, even you can do this with a friend, right? On well, your would hand. Ha- would have to be a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> but you just leave, do it on your hand or on your arm up to the elbow or on the back, right? right? In a way that so that, that feels comfortable for you because it, what it does is it slows you down and helps you to realize what are my patterns of interacting? How do I give away my power? Do I claim my power? Do I claim too much power and do I demand, right? right? So it's a good way of a very short exercise of recognizing how do I interact, whether it be a lover or a friend, and how can I do that differently so that we both feel great and we have a better, for lovers, we have a better sex life. Right. So this is this exercise is really about giving and receiving, right? Yes, it is. I mean, it's more about how do I know what I want? And is it the same as what I wanted before? Is it what you expected I wanted? Is it what I expected I wanted? So it's more about noticing what are the shifts, and how do I give and receive, not just about giving and receiving? Do people actually know what they want, though? Often I mean, not. Often not. Right? And, I mean, if, if you uh, put to the task, I mean, yeah. I was thinking about this when I sure. read the article and yeah, thinking yeah. about, you know, what, yeah. would I, what would I say for three minutes? Yeah. I, I, I don't even know. And, I, you know, it might be different on Saturday than it would be next Thursday. Completely. Completely. Often we don't know what we want, in particular women, but not exclusively. I really have a hard time. And sometimes I do an exercise very similar to this. And women will just, they won't say anything for right. three minutes. It's, uh, 
can't think of anything. <laughs> You're on the spot, though, right? I mean, yeah, you know. yeah. And when we're not used to thinking about what we want, when we are only used to giving or doing what we think that we're supposed to do, we take ourselves out of the equation. Or if we think that touch is that you're supposed to know what I like, right? <laughs> that you know, we we lose ourselves. So this is an exercise that I think foremost is about trust, but mm-hmm. you write about it being about emotional honesty. What, Correct. What, what, what do you mean by that? So it's about really being honest with yourself as well as with your partner. What do I actually really want? And, and am I comfortable communicating that? That's the second piece. <laughs> yeah, no. <that's... laughs> because are you going to think that I something wrong with me, um, that it's not quite right, that it's you know not okay, it's wrong, it's not sexy enough, it's not racy enough. So we have lots of fears and judgments and fears of our partner's judgments about what it is that we're going to like. So ultimately, when we have sex or when we touch, it's not about the touch that's really exciting. It's about the energy, the emotionality, the honesty, the vulnerability behind the touch. That's what makes sex really great. Because touch in and of itself, yes, is nice. But what really generates the passion, what's really exciting let's is what's under, behind it. Let's not underestimate the touch. The touch no, completely, it. completely. Yeah. Um, you know, the touch is fabulous. But if you want to take it up a notch. Right. Um, uh, and nobody wants somebody touching them who's not really interested. Right, of right? course. That doesn't feel good, right? So you want your partner to be really in it, that they know what they want, that what you're doing to them, they really want it. And that's what makes sex great. Yeah, and, and I think communicating the change in a long-term relationship would be a challenge. You know, it is. Like, you know, like yeah. you've known this person for years, right. decades perhaps, yeah. and to express that things are feeling differently or, sure. or that you're noticing things or sensing things differently, right. I think is a difficult conversation to yeah, have. Yeah, that thing we've been doing for 10 years, not working for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it hasn't for five. I mean, so many times we don't say what's not working and that right. that becomes very awkward. But if we take responsibility for our peace in that, you know what? I've been failing this relationship because I haven't been saying what, what I want and I didn't know what I want. Then you're not blaming the other person. You're saying, okay, this is what I'm not doing right and this is what I want to change. Right. In the article, mm-hmm. you have what uh, a diagram called the wheel of consent. Yeah. So, so let's talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the four quadrants, whether you're giving or receiving, doing what you're doing, what I want or what you want. Right. Um, so the, the one that I think we're most familiar with is giving, where we're doing what we think our partner wants. And right. that's great. That's great to do what our partner wants. We want to bring them pleasure. The challenge is when we're not paying attention to our boundaries or we're going through the motions. And that's when we end up kind of, Uh, you know, the danger is we're losing ourselves in it, right? And we're just kind of going along with it and we're we're, we're resentful often. So that's not healthy. The second is where we're allowing. So our our partner touches us the way that they want to, which which is really lovely. It's nice to feel that kind of touch. But sometimes what happens is then we then just tolerate their touch, right? If we don't communicate what we want or we don't communicate our changes, we're just tolerating. Then there's receiving. So we're accepting what we asked for. That's a great thing, right? Right? Like, yeah. I want you to do this and your partner doesn't. It, it feels great. Mm. That's fabulous. You know, the problem with that is that when we start to feel like we're entitled to that, right? That you need to right. do what I want. And I even had a client or somebody telling me recently, you know, what's wrong with, you know, can't you just do that for five minutes and bring me that pleasure? Right. <laughs> you know? It's only five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on. You know, we yeah. sometimes we feel entitled to that. Um, and certainly when we've been together for a long time, it's like, we haven't had sex in a while. Can't you just do this thing, you know? Yeah. And then taking where we end 
end up touching in ways that are pleasing to ourselves as the toucher. And that can be actually a great place for curiosity where we discover each other. And sometimes I find that's a really fabulous place to touch in a way that feels good to my hand, Um, right? When I touch you and it's really, I find there's a lot of electricity in that. Now, of course... There's a power element to that, right? There's a power element, but it's also, there's there's a really playful, genuine curiosity and just naivete sometimes. About sure. Like, does this feel good? Wow, that feels well, really nice to We haven't hand. done that before. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. and how does that feel to you? Because sometimes you don't know what to ask for. Right. right? So I'm going to experiment and see what feels nice to me. Again, the challenge with that, if we don't pay attention, is we become sort of a perpetrator. We're only taking for our own pleasure and not our partners. So that's sort of a synopsis. But it's it's interesting how we all interact in those quadrants in different ways. Right. So in the article, you go on to mentioning uh, growing up. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, we have to grow up because when we were all babies, we got our diapers changed and often we would cry. Right. (laughs) You know, I don't want to wear that. I don't want you to touch me that way. We didn't have a choice. We had to go along with it. And so as we get older, we get more choices and more options, but sometimes we don't know how to take that choice and we don't know how to move that forward and how to say, um, you know, I do have a choice in this. I I, I don't want you to do that. Right. And And that comes to the last point, which is yes. ba- which is boundaries, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, especially at the time of year where we're getting together with family, you know, what if I don't want aunt or uncle Alex to give me a kiss because they smell or you don't right. want to hug them? So this is about really noticing, do I want to? And sometimes it's about saying, you know what, I don't really want to, but I want to give them that gift. Right. And can I, with an open heart genuinely give them that gift, even though I don't get pleasure from it, I know they do. And sometimes it's about saying, you know what, I really, uh, this time I can't, you know, and saying, you know what, I don't want to hug, can I shake your hand instead? And being clear and kind in your no and offering something else. And that way, you know, it's hard to shift things. It's hard to change what a pattern has been. But I think that it just makes us a lot more clear and we, we, we take more responsibility and power in our own choices and what we do in our lives. And as adults, I think that's really important. Would you like a hug? Right? Don't just assume, no matter how old the person is, don't just assume. Let's model that behavior. Fantastic. Well, that's all the time we have for this morning, but we'll hear back from you in the new year, right? I think so. Yeah. Awesome. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll hear all about the new documentary, Food for Thought, on The Tonic. And now the soul segment with spiritual medium, transpersonal therapist and teacher, Lisa Marvin. Through her use of tarot cards, your questions about love, money and career are sure to be answered. Hi everyone. Thanks for joining me for this week's soul segment. Today we'll be focusing on your relationships. The way this works is that I have pulled three cards to get a glimpse as to what to expect for the week. The first card is the energy that has brought you to where you are now. The second card is what you need to focus on right now. And the third card is the energy that's going to carry you into the future. You might have noticed a lot of changes within your personal relationships. The first card that we're going to look at is the Tower card. This means that recently, you've noticed a major change in the way that you act and feel in certain relationships. You may have noticed that certain people are acting differently with you as well. Although uncomfortable, these changes will create a firmer ground for you to stand on. This week you have the Ace of Swords. This means that you'll experience new inspiration in how you want to interact with others. Once you feel more confident and inspired, you have the Ten of Wands. That means that you'll release all the burdens and old negative ideas that you've been carrying with you that no longer serve you in your relationships. 
Change can be hard, but the outcome is always positive. Good luck. Thank you for joining me, and I'm looking forward to connecting again with you next week. This has been The Soul Segment with Lisa Marvin. To contact Lisa with your questions, please visit metaphysique.ca. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. What do you give the person who has everything? The gift of health from the Big Carrot. A Big Carrot gift card gives your loved ones access to all their amazing departments, including body care, the organic juice bar, the holistic dispensary, and even the Carrot Kitchen. Gift cards are available for purchase at both the Beach and Danforth locations. The Big Carrot, living better together. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Leora Eisen, is an award-winning Canadian filmmaker and journalist specializing in long-form documentaries. Her work has appeared on CBC, Radio Canada, TVO, Discovery, History, and Documentary Channels, as well as broadcasters around the globe. Leora is a recipient of the Gemini Award, several Gemini nominations, and most recently, a Canadian Screen Award nomination for Best Documentary. Her new film, Food for Thought, is the sixth science documentary she's written and directed for CBC's The Nature of Things. Welcome to The Tonic. Hi. So, why did you decide to make this documentary on food? Well, I don't know about you, but if you've had uh, a dinner party lately, like if I'm having friends or family over and try to figure out uh, what you're going to serve, it's really confusing. I have one daughter who's got celiac disease, uh-huh. another who's go- uh, become a vegetarian but right. eats some fish. So a pescatarian. Uh, right, a pescatarian. Friends who are on a low-carb diet, friends right. who are on a low-fat diet, yep. some who won't eat bread, some who eat very little fruit. I mean, yep. it's it's gone crazy. Let them eat cake, because that's what I see. Let them eat cake, exactly. In the meantime, we're bombarded by information, because there's a new study out every day, it seems, saying coffee's good for you, coffee's bad for you. Right. Coconut oil is the cure-all, coconut oil's going to kill you. So you're left very confused and wondering, what am I supposed to eat? What's healthy and what's not? Well, that makes sense. Uh, so, so why... So why do you think food is so complicated? Why, why is it? Uh, well, one of the scientists I interviewed, uh, Tim Spector in the UK, he says it's because we have simplified food. So we think it all comes down to fats, carbs, proteins, and calories, and that's food. And yet, really, food is very complex as a science, and we don't understand it. And so what happens is even scientists disagree amongst themselves about what's healthy. Another thing is it's really hard to study because you need human beings. We're not mice. You need to follow them for a long time. 
if it's self-reported stuff, we lie. I mean, there's all kinds yep. of reasons why it's, it's difficult to replicate studies in science. And the bottom line is we're hungry for information, even though there's this vast amount of information out there. How do we sift through this? Like, what, what are the, well, the scientists that you interviewed, what do they say it all means? Well, what they say it means is uh, we need to really rethink our diet because what's actually happening, even though there's, we know we're supposed to eat our veggies, right. we know what Michael Pollan, the food guru, said decades ago, you know, mostly plants, right. not too much, don't eat what your grandmother didn't eat, that right. kind of stuff. And yet half the calories Canadians are consuming daily come from ultra-processed food. That's because nobody has the time. I mean, I mean I, I'm fortunate. I work from home and I make dinner for the family every night, which means I can spend an hour, hour and a half on food prep, but I have that luxury. Most people do not. It does come down to time for a lot of people. At the same time, we've kind of devalued cooking because yeah, uh, only maybe one in five Canadians cooks every day. Right. You're one of them. I'm right. not. Yeah. Because food's just a swipe away, right? Um, well, food is my first great love. So, you know, like I, I love food. It's important to me. But people, people, their relationship to food is very different, right? It's complicated. And we also uh, live in what uh, scientists call an obesogenic environment, which basically oh, that's means a big word. What does an that mean? environment that's geared to making us fat. Right, so oh, obesification. So it's yeah. it's that kind of idea, you know. Um, there's a reason we need calories. Right. Uh, humans need calories to function, right? right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like a gas ne- uh, car needs fuel in the gas tank. Right. We need to eat to get our energy. Uh, the problem is when we, our ancestors craved calories because calories were scarce. Right. They're not scarce anymore. No, they are not. Uh, but we haven't figured out how to stop craving it. That makes sense. So should we be concerned about calories? Should we bother counting them? We should be concerned about calories in a general sense because the idea that you eat a lot of calories, you're going to gain weight or or get uh, diseases. I mean, that still makes sense. Calories matter. You know, in 1975, I think it was, uh, Americans ate 500 fewer calories a day than they do now. That's a lot. That is a lot. However, this idea of calorie counting, and that's how you should base your diet, is flawed, according to the scientists I interviewed anyways. First of all, even they can't do it. It's incredibly complicated. You mean keeping track of the calories? Keeping track, weighing your food, um, and focusing on quality may be more important than focusing on quantity. Well, I think that makes sense, right? If you have X calories, you know, what you're ingesting is probably more, more relevant than number, right? Right, like a half a donut and an apple may both be around 150 nobody calories. Eats, nobody eats half a donut. Only, only, my wife, <laughs> only, only my wife eats half a donut. Right. It's, I do that with my husband. You know, I'm not have, ordering dessert, but I don't I'll have, have a bite of yours. Well, yeah, exactly. But uh, so rather than counting calories, uh, Susan Roberts, who's from Tufts University, a leading nutritionist who was once clinically obese herself. Yep. So she walks the talk. She recommends you measure the value of food by how filling it is to a certain degree. 100%. Often fiber is what's filling. Well, I I was clinically obese myself before. And when you talk about fiber, one of the first things I did is I swapped out my breakfast for oatmeal, which is full of fiber. And it actually made a world of difference because I'm not hungry. I can eat breakfast and I'm not going to be hungry till one or two in the afternoon. And it makes a huge difference. Oatmeal is a biggie. And yet there are a lot of people who say... uh, 
you know, I'm cutting out carbs. Right. Uh, they're not thinking about what kind of carbs. You know, are you talking about processed uh, white flour? Right. Or are you talking about whole grains? Um, and still cut oatmeal with a couple berries on top. That's a really healthy breakfast. But I think carbs, whereas fats used to be the bad guy, right. carbs are now the bad guy. Well, you know, having lost my weight, uh, many years ago and kept it off. I can tell you that diets really don't work in the long term. I mean, people are going to try diets maybe because they want to lose weight quickly or that there's a medical issue or whatever, and that's all fine and dandy. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to keep the weight off long term, it's a lifestyle decision. And I think it goes to the relationship with food, and you're going to have to learn how to cope with food and ingest food in a way that has uh, that you can sustain. And, and one of the things that uh, Sue Roberts, that formerly yeah. obese nutrition researcher, told me is, you know, people won't stick with a diet, as you say, long term. And part of that is because it's based on restricting everything you liked. You know, right. everything you used to enjoy before, yep. you can't eat. Right. Uh, well, what if you just try replacing some of the ingredients? Oh, so, for example... Mm. She likes chocolate. Yep. So switch to dark chocolate. Yep. Don't eat tons of it every day. But if you feel like you want some chocolate, she takes unsweetened dark chocolate and dips all brand sticks in it. Right. Well, that sounds extreme. I'm not sure I'm up right. for that. But, but but a good dark chocolate. I mean, if you're going to have that, it probably, you know, like I would I would say have the piece of chocolate. Don't have the chocolate eclair. Because or exactly. It, or the chocolate cake. Right? Or the chocolate cake. Exactly. Um, so it's it's she makes she has a recipe for chicken parmesan without the breading because she likes that idea of, um, you know, she takes a boneless breast. Right. Some homemade tomato sauce a little bit of fresh Parmesan rather than the stuff out of the can. Right. You're still getting a bit of that flavor and that memory because food is based on memory and psychology too. 100%. And, you know, like food has become part of our culture. It's part of our entertainment, right? I remember younger, we'd go out for dinner and then go to a movie. People don't do that anymore. When they're going out for dinner, that's their evening, right? It's a different relationship with the food. It definitely is. And restaurant calories are a big problem because even if there's something listed on the menu, Mm -hmm. chances are it's inaccurate. There's lots of research showing that generally the portions are much bigger than the averages that we think they are. People would be horrified to see how much butter and cream and just the stuff that, you know, you don't necessarily, that doesn't help with with your weight loss or, or keeping healthy, how much of that goes into restaurant food. That's why it tastes so delicious, right? And, you know, you, exactly. you have to have your blinders on when you go to a restaurant, I think. Um, we only have time for one more question. So I guess, you know, you've done a lot of research and you've made this wonderful film. What are the takeaway points or point that really impressed upon you in, in the process? Stop eating ultra processed food. I would say that's the biggie. And that means the stuff that is made from chemicals, preservatives, additives, added sugar, sodium, and has very little real food in it. The stuff that comes in boxes and cans at your supermarket. Right. So keep away from the, it's trite, but keep away from the center aisles, right? You want to, you want to go around the edges of your grocery store and pick out the fresh produce and the meats and, and, you know, the, perhaps the organic dairy, but maybe, just maybe we keep away from the bag of Doritos, right? Exactly. Well, congratulations on your documentary. Look forward to seeing it. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on the show today. Okay, I'm going to go eat something healthy now. Okay. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomeradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Carlisle Jansen, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. 
Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic for our first show of 2019. We'll discuss the natural treatment of allergies, classic cookbooks, fad diets, and how to create your own fit future self. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy new year. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.